Let's take our Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. And uh, last week uh, I preached a message called the, the Lights of the Christmas Story. And uh, we looked at the light of perfection, the light of direction, and the light of reflection. And so this week I'm going to preach a message called the Sounds of the Christmas Story. And uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, if you find your place, stand with me together please for the reading of the Word of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, and I'll begin reading in verse 18 and read down through verse 25. Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take into thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. Again, we're thankful to you for all you've done for us, God. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for this time of year. And Lord, yes, we uh, take a time where we celebrate your birth, but Lord, it's more than just you coming and being born. Lord, it's the life you lived. Lord, it's the fact of what you came to do as you set, Lord, your face like a flint toward Calvary. And Lord, you bore our sin, Lord, for us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I pray you'd meet with my prayer is every week, Lord, if there's someone that's not saved, they would accept you today before it's eternally too late. I pray that you allow the Word of God to change us and help us and make us what we ought to be for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The sounds of the Christmas story. Now, when you think of Christmas, there are certain sounds uh, that come along uh, with this day. Uh, maybe you might hear, uh, think of bells ringing, uh, carols singing, uh, the wishing of Merry Christmas, or the reading of the Christmas story, or, or other different sounds that are associated with Christmas. Well, from the, our passage today, uh, I started looking through here, and I found some sounds that are associated with the biblical account here of the birth of Christ. And that's what I want to give you today, and uh, just a, a few different uh, sounds, five different sounds from the Christmas story. Uh, the first sound we're going to look at uh, is this, the sound of instruction. The sound of instruction. Again, what did we just read here? We read there in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 20, uh, we read how that Joseph uh, was um, uh, contemplating the situation that he had found himself in. By the way, if you uh, put yourself in Joseph's shoes, all right, uh, here he was espoused, to, uh, we would call it engaged, uh, to marry, and uh, all of a sudden he got word that his, uh, his soon-to-be bride was with child. Now you can imagine uh, that uh, the, 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 the bewilderment Joseph had was thinking, maybe the, the, the betrayal he was feeling, the craziness, the awkwardness of this situation, and Joseph here was thinking about these things. By the way, I like what it said, that Joseph uh, uh, thought on these things. And Joseph didn't uh, just uh, jump to uh, the, these unrational uh, decisions. He didn't allow his emotions to control him. He thought about what was going on. 
And by the way, as he was thinking about it, God supernaturally appeared to him uh, through the angel and told him what was going on. Thus I call this the sound of instruction. God instructed Joseph about the situation that he founded himself in. And by the way, I like Joseph's reaction to this instruction. Look what it says in verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, notice here, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. You know what Joseph did here when God instructed him? He did what every single one of us ought to do. He obeyed the Lord. Amen? And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, God will instruct us in times of uncertainty, in times when our world gets shaken upside down, when we're just as perplexed as Joseph was. You know, uh, folks, listen, God will come and instruct us. You say, well, well, how's He going to do that, preacher? Will Gabriel show up in a dream and tell me exactly what's going on? Uh, well, folks, i got good news for you. Amen? we got something better than Gabriel. we got something more sure than a dream. Hey, we have the very words and promises of God. Amen. In fact, he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, tells us that we have a more sure word of prophecy. And by the way, if you look at the context of that verse, that's Peter talking there. And Peter was referencing the fact when him and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus appeared to them or transformed in His glorified body and they heard the Father's voice from heaven. And then he says this, he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Think about that, folks. What he's saying is this, we got something more sure than the Father speaking audible words from heaven. And what is that more sure, to, sure word of prophecy? It's the Scripture. Amen? It's your King James Bible sitting in your lap this morning. And let me tell you something. God wants to instruct you through His Word. Amen? And by the way, not only does He want to, He will. But you know what we've got to do? We've got to choose to follow what He says. We must choose as Christians to believe and put to practice the Bible in our life. You say, it can't be that simple. It is. Amen? It is. And there was instruction, the voice of instruction, the sound of instruction that came to Joseph in the Christmas story. And listen, God's voice of instruction still comes to us today as well. He says in Proverbs chapter 19, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Proverbs 19.27 Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. He says, listen, there's some instruction you shouldn't hear, but there's some instruction you ought to hear. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 12, Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. And then Proverbs 23, 23, By the truth, sell it not. Also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Amen? And then if you were confused at all whether or not he's referring to his word, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I'm going to tell you folks, the Bible is just not any other book. Amen? It's the inspired, preserved Word of God and it's still relevant in 2022. It still applies to us today. It's God trying to instruct us. What are we going to do with that instruction? Amen? So we find the sound of instruction there in the Christmas story. Number two, how about this? We find the sound of interruption. Now what are you talking about? Take your Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We, we continue to see uh, the story progress here. And uh, let's read verses 1 through 3. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Of course, this is the, the story here of these wise men. And by the way, I think, I think I've instructed you in this before, uh, but uh, sometimes we let tradition overrule Scripture. And uh, in our minds, we say three wise men, right? That's pretty much what we say. That's what we think. That's what all your typical uh, you know, Christmas scenery has, the three wise men. Uh, but the Bible never says there were just three. In fact, more than likely, there was a large entourage of these wise men. I think probably people speculate there were three based upon the three gifts, uh, but there was probably more than just three. And by the way, the wise men didn't show up at the manger scene, okay? They showed up later on. In fact, the Bible says that they found Mary and Joseph and the babe in the house, amen? Not at the manger, in the house. But these wise men, very interesting here, when they came, notice what it says in verse 3, and this is where I'm coming with this point at. It says that when Herod the king had heard these things, notice this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. I believe this gives us an insight on the mindset what the world was like when Jesus came the first time. By the way, what was that mindset? Well, it's the mindset of, you know what? We don't want anything to change in our life. The mindset of, you know what? We like how things do. We like things just how they are. The mindset of, hey Jesus, don't come and interrupt the way we're going to live our lives. We want to do what we're going to do. I hate to tell them, but you know what? Things were about to change. Their lives were about ready to get interrupted. You know why? Because Jesus was about to make His appearance. Amen? By the way, what a shame to... Uh, what's a shame to me about these wise men coming and nobody having a clue about what was going on was the fact, folks, that Jesus' birth was prophesied, by the way, down to near the exact time when He was going to come. How'd these wise men know to look? How'd they know to find a star? Listen, they weren't just randomly looking in the sky and saw a star and decided to follow it. No, you know what they were doing? They were doing what, what all of Israel should have been doing. They were studying the Scripture. Because uh, Daniel chapter 9, and for sake of time, I'm not going to go there, but if you look at verse 25 and 26, there was a timeline that gave the people when the Messiah was going to be there. There was a timeline. God prophesied it when He was going to come the first time. And people that were looking were knowing that Messiah was about to come. But you know what? The reason Jerusalem was troubled? Because they didn't want their lives interrupted by Jesus coming on the scene. The sound of interruption. Now before we get too harsh on the Jews living in the times of Christ's birth, maybe we ought to be examining our own lives, amen, and our own selves in the day we find that we're living in. And by the way, let me tell you the days we're living in. We're living in the days just prior to His second coming, amen? And let me tell you what Jesus said the mindset of the world would be when it come to those people living before He'd come the second time. Here's what He says, Matthew chapter 24. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You know what Jesus gave us the example of here? He gave us the mindset of the world before the flood. 
And he talked about Noah's day. I got a whole message I preached called As in the Days of Noah. And you can go back and you can look at all the things going on. And everything that was going on then is going on now. Amen? You know why? Because Jesus is about to make His appearance. Hey, it won't be a flood this time, but it's going to be God bringing supernatural judgment to this world once again. Amen? And here was the mindset of the day in Noah's time. The Bible says they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, and knew not until the flood came. What's that mean? By the way, is it a sin to eat and drink and to marry and give and marry? Well, I hope not, or we'd all be living in sin all the time, right? I'm going to tell you right now, as soon as church is over, but not, not too long after, I'm going to be eating and drinking. Amen? Right? Hey, this week, alright, I mean, uh, we're going to uh, be enjoying the time, and we're going to be making merry, if you will, enjoying the time. I mean, hey, not that long ago, some, this okay? No, it's not talking about they were behaving in a sinful way, although they were. These things weren't sinful. You know what it's talking about, folks? They were living their life with no thought about what was about to happen. They didn't want their lives interrupted. By the way, I'm afraid a, a lot of Christians today don't want our lives interrupted with Jesus Christ and a life lived for Him, what it will do. Amen? We just don't want to mess with it. We like doing what we're doing. We, we like living our life. Listen, hey, I'm afraid we're just like baby bear's porridge. We're just right. Amen? We're not too hot. We're not too cold. The Bible says lukewarm. That's what he describes it as. Describes that generation of Christians right again before the second coming of Jesus Christ. The sound of interruption. Well, I hate to tell you folks, but you know what? God's going to interrupt some things. Amen? And the next big interruption that's going to come is going to be that trumpet that's going to sound called the rapture of the church. And I hope as a Christian you're ready for it. Amen? I've read this poem to you before. I don't think I read it last year, so if I did, act like I didn't. Amen? Here's the title of the, of the poem. Twas the night before Jesus came. Now, of course, we know that is a correlation to a, a, a poem about the tw twas the night before Christmas. But listen to what it says. Twas the night before Jesus came and all through the house. Not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawling into bed, not one ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wandering eyes should appear? But angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With the light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment that this must be the day. The light of His face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like He had said. And though I possess worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw Him in spite of myself. In the book of life which He held in His hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as He searched for my name. When He said it's not there, my head hung in shame. The people whose names have been written with love, He gathered to take to His Father above. With those who were ready, He rose with a sound, while all of the rest were left standing around. But it was too late. I waited too long, and this sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if I had only been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, amen, 
Don't let the sound of interruption, let it catch you off guard. Amen? So we see the sound of instruction, the sound of interruption. Number three, we, see the, we, we hear the sound of seduction. Matthew chapter 2, again, we follow the story here of the wise men. Let's read the verses uh, beginning in verse 7 in Matthew chapter 2. Notice what he says here, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard, there you go, heard, when they had heard the king, they departed. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Herod had any intention of worshiping Jesus? Of course he did not. And we'll see that in just a few moments. But he was simply trying to seduce the wise men into giving away the location so he could have Jesus murdered. Kind of reminds me today where the voices of seduction are loud and clear. By the way, just as the Bible prophesied they would be. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times... By the way, that's the day and age we're living in. The latter times. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And I don't know about you folks, but those verses ring true as we look around the world today. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let me tell you something, folks. Deception, deceit, and seduction are not from God. Let me tell you what the devil wants to do, folks. He wants to deceive every single one of God's children. By the way, he wants to, he wants to deceive everybody. He wants to deceive people into thinking that God, that God doesn't exist, that heaven's not real. By the way, he don't even care in believing if you don't believe he's real or not. He doesn't care. All he wants to do is trick and deceive and try to get people to follow anything and everything except God and His Word. Amen? Now what are we to do about, about this deceit? How can we keep from being deceived? Well, the Bible tells you how in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Amen? You know what will keep you and I from being deceived, folks? When, 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 the, when the winds of deception are blowing all around us, when the voices of deceit, when the voices of, uh, of, of seduction, just like they were in Jesus' day that Herod tried to use, you know what will keep us from falling from those lies? By comparing to the source of truth. Amen? By knowing what truth is. And let me tell you what truth is. Truth is the Word of God. And notice how everything around here keeps coming back to that. Amen. You say, preacher, you're always talking about, you're always preaching. You better believe I am. Amen. Because the Bible will keep us. It's, our, it's the source of truth which we anchor ourselves to. Amen. And not to get caught up in the sound of seduction. And then what else do we hear there in the Christmas story? We hear the sound of destruction. Look what it says in verse 16 through 18. Then Herod. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, now notice this, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. 
This was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Kind of reminds me of what we're seeing happen in our day and age. Where even here in the United States of America, laws are being passed in these states that literally are advocating for, and not just advocating, but allowing for after-birth abortion. Wicked as hell. By the way, folks, the killing of babies isn't something that started with Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood. Infanticide has been around since the wickedness of mankind. You see it in the Bible. You see it in the nation of Israel where was involved in it. I mean, why? Because that is the wicked heart of mankind. The destruction of the innocents. Isn't it sad when the noise of rejoicing and celebration should have been heard because of Jesus Christ coming? But instead, you know what was heard? The sounds of Bethlehem streets being filled with the blood of the innocent children. Could you imagine what that was like? I mean, could you imagine a law coming that every child from two years old and under under was going to be slain? Could you imagine what those families were feeling? Could you imagine what that city was going through? I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's the sound of destruction. Now, we don't think of destruction when we think of the Christmas story. But in a, if a world rejects Jesus Christ and refuses to put their faith and trust in Him, let me tell you something, folks. Anything and everything's capable on a Christ-refusing world. You say, preacher, why is our country in the shape it's in? I'll tell you why. Because we're rejecting the God of the Bible. That's why. By the way, America was founded upon the Word of God. It was founded upon the principles of the Christian faith. Listen, don't let the liberals and God-haters try to tell you different, folks. It's etched and granted all across our nation's capital. Amen? This nation was founded as a Christian nation. And by the way, so well, I, I think our, our founders were, you know, a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of you know religious crazy people. Well, I don't know. It kind of uh, helped us uh, uh, found a country, amen. It kind of helped us uh, win a war against a nation who wanted to try to keep us in slavery. Let me tell you something, folks. Our, I'm not saying every single one of our founders were Christian men, but even if they weren't, they were God fearing men, amen. And let me tell you why America is going to implode upon itself. And I'm not trying to be a doomer, doomer, gloomer, folks. I'm just telling you the truth because this nation was founded to run and work as a Christian nation, and the further we get away from that, the worse it's going to be. And I'm going to tell you folks, it's not a matter of if, I hate to say it, it's a matter of when, but America will pay the price for the lifestyle that we're living. Yes, it will. Amen? Now, I'm not trying to tell you how, I'm not trying to tell you when. All I know is, you can look at the God of the Bible, and you can see His mercy and long-suffering, but eventually, folks, enough's enough, and the God of heaven's going to have the last word. And the sound of destruction was heard in that day, and I have a feeling it's going to be heard in our day as well. And then last of all, I want to show you the last sound here because I want to end on a positive note because it's just as, as bleak as this was and as dark as this was, it's just like God to, to turn something good from something bad. Here's the thing I want, to, I want to show you last of all is this. We hear the sound of construction. The sound, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, let's look here at verse, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 through 23. Let's look at the Scripture here. Notice what the Bible says. It says, But when Herod was dead... By the way, Herod, there came a time where his rule and his reign came, uh, uh, came to an end. 
And by the way, you have to ask the same thing that's going to happen to evil rulers of the day. That uh, uh, They may have their moment, they may have their time, but eventually, guess what? They're going to die just like everybody's going to die and they're going to face God. And Herod did the same thing. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child. By the way, think about this for a minute. Again, you, if, if you look at the biblical timeline here, okay? When Herod, the murder of the innocents, he also signed his death warrant. Because it wasn't very long after that that he was dead. Amen. I'm going to tell you, folks, people think they can get by with what they're getting to buy with, but I'm going to tell you, certain behavior only leads to certain ends. And it happened with Herod, and it's going to happen to anybody else that lives that way. And it says this, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let me tell you what God was doing, folks. God was using the circumstances of the day to accomplish His will. And let me tell you, that's why you shouldn't get all freaked out about what's happening in this world when things that you can't control, things I can't control. Now listen, do I wish some things were different? You better believe it, amen? If I could change them, would I? You better believe it. God is orchestrating circumstances to get things exactly where He wants them to be at. The same thing I've been saying for the last five years. I keep saying things aren't falling apart. They're falling in place. God knows what He's doing. He's getting things set up to fulfill Bible prophecy just as He did when Jesus came the first time. He's setting it up because Jesus is about to come the second time. Amen? And here, God used the death of Herod and even the, the, the rising of His son Archelaus to get Mary and Joseph and Jesus to the place where Scripture could be fulfilled. Because the Bible says it was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. And so what am I talking about here as far as the sound of construction? Well, it was in Bethlehem where Jesus escaped destruction. Now in Nazareth is where he begins a life of construction. And when I say construction, I'm not just referring to his trade of being a carpenter, although I think that's interesting that Jesus was a carpenter. And he was known as the carpenter's son. And he took the time as a young man to learn a, a trade. And no doubt he mastered that trade. And I always thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool to have owned a piece of furniture that Jesus built with his own hands? Amen. Wouldn't that have been cool? I guarantee you this, if Jesus built it, it didn't fall apart. In fact, it may even still be somewhere in the world today. Who knows? Amen. But what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about a life of construction, I'm going to, I'll give you more insight to that. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Of course, this is Luke's uh, story here of the birth of Christ. And uh, not only just the birth, but of some of his growing up years. And we, uh, re- we read the story in verse Luke 2, 1 through 20 of his birth. And then we read about his presentation uh, there at the temple and the sacrifices that were made. And then we begin reading the, the verses there uh, in verse 41 later on when he was 12 years old and the, them going to the temple. And uh, we we see different things here about Jesus as He was growing up. But what I want you to see here is verse 52. Luke 2.52. And this is pretty much the, the last verse of the insight we have of the, of, the, of the young man, Jesus Christ. And here's what it says. 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And if you look back at verse 40, it says this, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And you see, folks, even though it was a destructive time around the birth of Christ because of all the death of those firstborn, isn't it just like God to create beauty from ashes? Amen. The death of those children in Bethlehem was a tragic event, but through Christ, hope would spring up. And Jesus here in His life increased in some areas. Now here's the thought, and this really is the practical part of the message this morning, okay? If Jesus Christ as the perfect, sinless Son of God, who by the way, knew no sin, alright, from a child as a, as a teenager, all the way up through His life, from the, the second He was born until the second that He died, His physical life on earth, He lived in a body of flesh, yet He knew no sin. Amen? And if Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, had to increase in these areas, what makes us think that we shouldn't be increasing in these areas? Right? I mean, come on, folks. The word increase, it's talking about the fact that He added some things to His life. He grew in these areas of His life. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, God expects the same thing from us as well. The sound of construction. What was it that was being constructed in the life of the young person of Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible tells us these three areas. The first thing we see in verse 52, He increased in wisdom. Wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is the ability and willingness to base your thoughts, actions, and decisions upon the principles of the Word of God. And that's what I've told you before the book of Proverbs. The main theme of that book is wisdom. And the Bible talks about having knowledge. It talks about having wisdom. And yes, listen to me, you need to be filling your mind with knowledge. And I'm talking about knowledge of the right kind of things. Knowledge of the Word of God. Knowledge of the ways of God. And that's why it's so important, parents, you keep your young people in church. Amen? So they can come and have their hearts and minds filled with the knowledge of God. But listen to me, listen to me. It's not just good enough to have it here. Because if you only have it here, and it never comes out, and here it is, affects the way you live. The Bible said knowledge like that only puffeth up. Amen? And God doesn't just want your mind filled with knowledge. He wants your life filled with wisdom. Wisdom is the practical living out of the knowledge God gives you through His Word. And by the way, that's exactly... His wisdom increased as He began to grow... And then what else do we see here? He increased in wisdom, the Bible says, and stature. That word stature doesn't just mean you know he physically grew to a certain height, although yes, he did. That word stature means maturity. And what that is telling us is that Jesus matured physically, mentally, and socially. And folks, let me just say this. God expects us, yes, obviously as individuals in our, in, our, in, our, in our behavior with other people to be mature. I mean, how many times have you ever looked at your kids and say, you just need to be more mature, right? I mean, you know, you need to, or how about this, you need to act your age, not your shoe size, okay? Unless you're some of the teenage boys around here and their shoe size is still bigger than their age, okay? Uh, but no, no, you need to be mature. You need to act in a mature way. Listen, we've said that to our children before. But let me just say this, folks. It's more than just manners at the table. It's more than just you know social skills, although that's part of it. But let me tell you what God expects from us as His children. We ought to be mature spiritually, amen? Spiritually. Here's a fair question for all of us. By the way, a convicting question. Are you a better Christian this month than you were last month? 
Are you a better Christian this year than you were last year? Or listen, have you gone the other way? By the way, there's a biblical term for that as well. It's called being a backslider. Amen? And let me tell you, that's a word that most preachers are afraid to touch with a 10-foot pole anymore. But let me tell you, folks, it's true in our faith. And by the way, the goal isn't the person next sitting next to you. The goal is not you comparing yourself to this Christian or that Christian. No, hey, hey, listen. The, the goal is to compare yourself to the ultimate example. Anybody want to guess who that is? Amen. That's our Savior. Amen. He's the example. Are you more like Jesus this year than you were last year? You love Him more today than you did yesterday. We ought to be, we ought to be uh, uh, growing in our stature, in our maturity. Amen? And all these areas. By the way, Jesus did. We need to as well. And then notice here what else we see. That Jesus increased, not just in wisdom and stature, but notice this last phrase, and in favor with God and man. By the way, that's just not one thing. That's two things. He increased in His favor with God. You say, now wait a minute. How could Jesus increase in His favor with God? He was God. He was the Son of God. But again, remember something, folks. When Jesus took on human flesh, He took on not the sin, the sin of human flesh, but the limitations of human flesh. Now, I'll just tell you right now, Jesus wasn't born with all the knowledge of who He was and who He was going to be. That, that he had to learn that. And, and I believe there was a time, the Bible teaches us that, that that came to him and he understood that. Isn't it interesting when his mother and, or Mary and Joseph found him? What was Jesus doing there in the temple? Well, the Bible says this in verse 46, and it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, listen to this, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. By the way, what do you think he was talking to them about? Well, the Bible tells us. It says, and, and all that heard Him were astonished at His understanding and answers. You know why? Because Jesus was increasing in His favor with God. And I'll just say this, folks. Listen, uh, that, that word favor there, that's an interesting word. Uh, it, that, that is teaching us that uh, uh, Jesus was required by God to learn and grow and increase with His relationship with His heavenly Father. Of course, He did so without sinning, but His decisions and then all that He did, the life He lived, increased His favor with God. By the way, not just because of who He was, but because of what He did. Now listen, God doesn't play favorites, okay? He doesn't decide He likes some people better than other people. But I will say this, He does show favor or withholds favor based upon what a Christian does or doesn't do with His Word. And listen, you can choose how close you want to be with God, folks. Yes, you can. And God, you can have favor with God, again, based upon your relationship and obedience to Him through His Word. So Jesus increased in favor with God. And not only that, the Bible says He increased in favor with man. That word favor means cheer. Here's what that means. People around Jesus, when He was a young person, were cheered at His presence. His attitude refreshed them. His greetings encouraged them. His character and wisdom challenged them to be their best. Here's a fair question again for all of us. Okay? And, and, and a convicting question. Let me ask you this. Are people better off or worse off when you're around? That's a fair question. Amen? Are people better off or worse off when you're around? Listen, if we're increasing in favor with God, 
Let me tell you, I'm not saying everybody's going to like and be your best friend. In fact, truth be told, if you are close to God, there's some people you'll never be close to. Amen? Because Jesus Christ creates a dividing line in that. But I will say this, even if people don't like you, they can respect you. Because of your disposition and the way you treat people and the way you represent Christ to them. Even a lost and dying world. Let me tell you, you know, you know, you know, you know what we need to learn to do? You know what we have a revival of as Christians? We need to have a smile revival. Right? Just, listen, and I'm not talking about this fake stuff. I'm talking about a real, genuine presence of the joy of the Lord that ought to be in our heart, that it's in our, in our face, in our countenance, in our disposition. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Why in the world would the lost world want anything we have if we're just like them? If we walk around, we're down in the dumps, we're depressed all the time, and you know nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. And life ain't going the way we want it to, so we're going to walk around, and we're going to let everybody know that we're, we're disappointed at life. What kind of testimony, what kind of representation of your Savior is that? I'm not saying you're not going to have a bad day. I'm not saying you've got to walk around skipping everywhere you go, and you know, uh, just you know, all that. I'm saying this though, if you're in favor with God, you can show it in your countenance and be in favor with man and make an impact in everywhere you go. Let me just say this. God wants to construct these things and many more in our lives. Just as we heard the sound of construction in Jesus' life, God wants them in our lives as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible says, For we are laborers together with God. Think about what that verse is saying. We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. That kind of means like this. You're kind of like a... Uh, that word husbandry refers to like agriculture work. Amen? You're, 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 uh, we as Christians are what God is supposed to be growing. And we're supposed to represent Him. Ye are God's building. Think about that. Ye are God's building. That means that our lives, God's trying to make something. God's trying to do something through us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, He also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And God, just as He constructed some things in His, in His Son's life, God wants to construct some things in our lives as well. So the sounds of the Christmas story. Can you hear Him this morning? Did you hear Him as we, as we preached through this message? Did you hear what God was trying to say? The sound of instruction, the sound of interruption, the sound of seduction, the sound of destruction, the sound of construction. Amen? And I pray that we'd allow these things to be in our lives as well. Let's